So good morning. So there's a lot happening now, isn't there? So things are intensifying. How many people here are or may be without power? Yeah, some of you, yeah. We have locally a lot happening, of course, nationally, internationally. There are a lot of climate actions. We have... Uh, you know, moving towards constitutional crisis in Washington. Hmm. And uh, I thought I'd related to several of these. I thought I'd read a poem, which is a nice poem by Jane Hirschfield, which is really brings some of these together. It's called, it's called A Poem About the Presidency. Well, here it is. On the fifth day, the scientists who studied the rivers were forbidden to speak or to study the rivers. The scientists who studied the air were told not to speak of the air, and the ones who worked for the farmers were silenced, and the ones who worked for the bees. Someone from deep in the badlands began posting facts. The facts were told not to speak and were taken away. The facts, surprised to be taken, were silent. Now it was only the rivers that spoke of the rivers, and only the wind that spoke of its bees. While the unpausing factual buds of the fruit trees continued to move towards their fruit, the silence spoke loudly of silence, And the rivers kept speaking of rivers, of boulders and air, bound to gravity, earless and tongueless, the untested rivers kept speaking. Bus drivers, shell shockers, code riders, machinists, accountants, lab techs, cellists kept speaking. They spoke the fifth day of silence. That was Jane Hirschfield. Let's see. April 2017. So I was inspired, I have been inspired by the fact that uh, today is uh, Yom Kippur. In the Jewish tradition, it's the most sacred day. It's the beginning of a new year. I know at least some of you here are celebrating Yom Kippur, fasting. And I wanted to use the occasion to look at the themes of making new beginnings and having a sense of directions that call us. There really probably are these two natural times when we may have a sense of a, of a new year developing. One of them is, you know, as we know, in January or at the end of December, which comes after the winter solstice, and it's really about the return of the light. That's a, very, that's a natural time for uh, a sense of a new year, a new beginning, and we often have gatherings which are devoted to 
cultivating that sense of new beginnings, resolutions, and so forth. <laughs> and so, but, but the time of September and October is also a very natural time for new beginnings. It's really in more agricultural places. It's the um, period after the harvest. And there's a time when things are a little more fallow. So probably, you know, if we were listening to the earth, we could have a sense of a new year at both times. You know, that there's something that calls for looking at the next cycle. So I think the sense of the new year at this time in September and October is connected very much... uh, with, with the earth. You know, in the Jewish tradition, Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year. It's said that the, uh, the veils separating human beings and the sacred are thinner today. So it can be a good day to come to Spirit Rock, further thin out those veils, right? Uh, and it's a very special day. I actually... Uh, my father died on Yom Kippur a number of years ago. And so it's had a, always had a, a powerful meaning to point towards that sense of opening, of beginning again. And, you know, in the, in the Jewish tradition, the dynamics are those uh, in the days that precede Yom Kippur, it's especially about seeing where there have been shortcomings, where there have been ways either personally or collectively that we sense that our life is a little bit out of alignment and we want to make a shift. And And that leads up to Yom Kippur where there's a possibility of also letting go as a part of that process of realignment, right? So I want to touch on those themes, which are really in Buddhist tradition and in other traditions, those are themes which uh, in some ways we are encouraged to work with every day, right? And and, and to uh, have a sense of being able to continually make a new beginning, you know, that sense of being more in the present moment, of seeing what is constraining from the past and seeing what we need to let go of. But sometimes it's maybe that letting go of something from the past may be premature. So sometimes we need to address what remains from the past. So both can be both can be there. I think in so many traditions there can be a sense of no matter what's happened, we make a new beginning. No matter how we're feeling, we're feeling a little sad or depressed or something's difficult, can we make a new beginning? We've had uh, injustice in our lives. We've had something that's been really, really hard. What would a new beginning mean? There's a powerful example that I heard 
from uh, some of you know the the teacher and activist uh, Cornell West, and he was talking about uh, the um, the death of Emmett Till. Many of you know that story in 1955. A young man from African American man from Chicago who went down to visit relatives and was uh, 14 years old and was not clear of some of the things that happened. Uh, There's some controversy, but basically he was uh, abducted and murdered and body was thrown into the river. And uh, his mother mother, uh, brought back his body and uh, kept an open casket at a church in Chicago and had people come see. You know, I think his head was five times his normal size. And then she spoke, and this is really, uh, to me, fits with very much with the theme. She really spoke of... Um, being very present-oriented, she said, I don't have a minute to hate. I'll pursue justice for the rest of my life. In those extreme circumstances, there was a sense of not being even there, not being bound in a certain way by the past, but making a new beginning related to the past. For me, that's a very powerful story. So that, that... question of how do we keep beginning again in relationship to what's important. And we do this in a variety of ways. I, I actually, maybe some of you do this, I personally have a vows which I developed, I don't know, 10 years ago, which I repeat to myself uh, four times a day. And I've sometimes repeated these here. And I repeat them four times a day, but if I if I need to tell you what they are, I'll probably forget it. <laughs> right? But it's like, uh, you know, the, at the beginning of it goes, I intend to awaken for the benefit of others. You know? Uh, and then I do a few moments of gratitude practice, and I say, may I find peace and serenity in the midst of phenomena. May my demons and dragons become allies and helpers. All right, that's a good one. Uh, let's see. Um, may I, gosh, you know, four times a day, and I'll have to get in that groove to be able to say it. So. May I penetrate ever more deeply into emptiness. May I... May I be filled more and more with compassion, with luminosity. And it goes on like that, you know, and I bring in some other things. But the point is that there's something like that which can help with renewal and coming out of being a little bit stuck from, you know, in small ways or big ways. You know, I, I, I do that if I ever wake up in the middle of the night and I'm disturbed by something when I... You know, I usually sit up and do some meditation, but those vows, when I say them, partly because they're concentrative, they sort of 
can really shift awareness. So how do we how do we find ways to get unstuck, to keep coming back uh, to the present, not to be bound by the past, right? How do we do that? What are our personal ways of doing that? What are our group ways or collective ways? You know, and again, there are many, many ways to come unstuck. You know, talking with friends, doing something physical can often be really helpful. You know, um, if I ever have uh, long meetings, I regularly do swimming right after the meetings for an hour. You know, something physical can really help the energy get unstuck. You could do qigong or yoga or something. This is uh, the Buddha. Do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has not yet come. Looking deeply at, at life as it is in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. You know, that beginning again continually. Um, uh, uh, I just heard a wonderful uh, story uh, from Marty, which she gave me the permission to repeat. Her her mom is 101, and... Um, and she sometimes, uh, in the middle of talking or a sentence, she doesn't always remember where she just was. But she's very, you know, can very easily just make a comment that just sort of helps her come back to present, saying, what was it? Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> right. Like, you know, in the middle of a sentence, it doesn't quite come out. Oh, well. Okay. Reset. Start again. <laughs> Right, so there, there are all these different ways to do that. Uh, here, here are ten reflections uh, again in the Buddhist tradition. These are uh, offered as daily reflections, um, and I'll, I'll give a few of them. This is, these are taken to be uh, reflections which help align oneself. My very life is sustained through the gifts of others. Does regret over my conduct arise in my mind? All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. The days and nights are relentlessly passing. How well am I spending my time? Hmm. And so forth. And in the Tibetan tradition, often a daily reflection is to bring up uh, impermanence and death. And remember that every day. It's also very much in other Buddhist traditions, other spiritual traditions, remembering death and impermanence can give some urgency to live in alignment with what's most important. Right? And some people practice that every day. You know, I know one teacher who has been influential, Venerable Analeo, some of you have studied with him, he does that every evening before going to sleep, reflects on death. And it can be just a very simple practice to remember impermanence, remember death, and not in any, with any particular aim, but just do that. And the sense is that what is most important will tend more to come to the present, come, come up. And so in the, in the spirit of Yom Kippur, there is a very directed set of questions about where am I out of alignment? And if you want to, you can use the paper, 
for this or you can just reflect without writing. Where am I out of alignment with my deeper aspirations? And see what comes to you. And more specifically, am I out of alignment with how I use my time? And here the aim of these inquiries are not to come to being self-judgmental. And we want to make that distinction, which we often make here, between being self-judgmental and discerning what's true. We're interested in discernment. Am I out of alignment with how I use my time? With how I take care of my body? With my heart? in relation to oneself, in relation to others. Am I out of alignment in relation to my work in the world? Whatever that is whatever stage of life one's at. The answer may be, I feel pretty aligned. That's fine, we're not looking for anything in particular. Am I out of alignment in my relationships, my close relationships, partner, friends, parents, children, perhaps grandchildren, grandparents? Again, that spirit of just seeing without being judgmental. In the tradition of Yom Kippur, it's said where you're looking for how we're missing the mark with the interest of resetting.
Am I too outwardly preoccupied so I don't attend enough to my own dreams, my own aspirations? Do I need to give more room for what is my deepest aspiration? And then, am I out of alignment in terms of my efforts to address the collective issues of our society, culture, world? Am I too self-preoccupied to follow my responsibility as a citizen and what's done in my name? The uh, teacher and writer Abraham Joshua Heschel once said, few are guilty, but all are responsible. Few are guilty, but all are responsible. Do I need to attend more to those responsibilities? Have I not given sufficient energy to helping to heal from economic inequality? Have I not given sufficient energy to help to heal from racism? Seeing what calls each of us. Have I not given sufficient energy to helping to address the climate crisis? Have I not given sufficient energy to helping address the plight of refugees? And knowing what causes refugees? just to take a few more moments to reflect, where am I out of alignment in ways that when you reflect, you might want to make, especially make one or two adjustments. You might say, oh gosh, I'm kind of out of alignment with a lot of these. Where we'll be going with it is not to say, okay, not not another to-do list, but really to see the one or two that call you.
what's the deeper aspiration? am I called to deepen in my own spiritual practice? Where am I a little bit off the mark there? From the Tibetan Book of the Dead, O nobly born, O you of glorious origins, remember your radiant true nature, the essence of your mind. Trust it, return to it, it is home. believe the maybe the strongest response to our current issues is to both deepen the inner spiritual practice but also attend outwardly this is a poem by Drew Dellinger called Hieroglyphic Stairway it's 3.23 in the morning and I'm awake because my great great grandchildren won't let me sleep My great-great-grandchildren asked me in the dreams, what did you do while the planet was plundered? What did you do when the earth was unraveling? Surely you did something when the seasons started failing. As the mammals, reptiles, birds were all dying, did you fill the streets with protests when democracy was stolen? What did you do once you knew? So there's the capacity to find ways to begin again in small ways, in large ways. And uh, here we're emphasizing both, both the small ways, you know, just on a daily basis. Oh, well, (laughs) right? Oh, well, that didn't quite go like I wanted it. Oh, I could knock myself around a little bit. Oh, well. Right, or, or just that sense of how do you have a new beginning? Maybe it's your version of something like my vows. But then there's also the cyclical setting a new course or setting a little bit different course that I'm also encouraging here. And really has, uh, I think, three main steps. The one that we've started with here is seeing where we may be off the mark. And what I could ask would be, what are the two or three ways that are most important for you? You may, like I said, you may have had a a developing list 
if we were comprehensive, but what are the two or three ways that you're a little off the mark that really are calling for response? Because we want to be practical and not, not try to do too much, right? Have just a few ways that we realign. And then the second step is that of asking, is there anything that I need to let go of from the past? Maybe some grudge, some resentment, some reactivity. Is there something that's there that's taking a lot of my awareness? Again, maybe some unresolved difficulty with someone close to you. Is there some kind of reactivity which is occurring over and over again? Is there anything that you want that you would like to forgive? Again, remembering that forgiveness especially means uh, wanting to let go of the reactivity in my own mind. Forgiveness doesn't mean that what happened was okay. It's not condoning. And you can forgive and still say, I don't want to be anymore with this person. It's really about what's there in my own being that's um, reactive, that's stuck or caught. Jack Kornfield has that one-liner about forgiveness. Forgiveness is giving up the hope for a better past. So is there something where I'm stuck, reactive, in relation could be in relation to oneself, in relation to others. Could be could be in relation to the world in some way. And this is really about your own mind and reactivity. This is not dependent on the other person also forgiving you. Right? This is just what could be called unilateral forgiveness. <laughs> so is there some part of my life, again, in relation to myself, another, the world, something that happened in the past, some area maybe of wound or hurt, where I can let go some? Again, not forcing it. Forgiveness can't be forced and forgiveness needs to happen when we're ready. So it's not something that we do because it's a good idea, but it actually, in the heart, it feels like, okay, yes, I'm, I'm ready for that. Sometimes forgiveness is helped by the repetition of phrases. 
Uh, many of you know these. We think we've sometimes used these very much like the phrases of loving kindness. We could say these are phrases I've developed, but they're common uh, ones that you may recognize in other forms. In any way that I have harmed you, knowingly or unknowingly, by thought, word, or action, I ask for your forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. In any way that I have been harmed by you, knowingly or unknowingly, by thought, word, or action, I offer you forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. In any way that I have harmed myself, knowingly or unknowingly, by thought, word, or action, I offer myself forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. And then there's a fourth form of forgiveness, which was developed by uh, Larry Yang. He's a colleague at Spirit Rock. And Larry basically said, we also need to forgive the reality of the suffering that's been present, whether in my own life or even in the world. Larry expressed it sometimes as forgiving the first noble truth. (laughs) I don't know if it needs forgiveness, but first noble truth in Buddhism is that there is suffering. And Larry said we need to forgive it. I I express it like this. uh, In any way that I've been unable to be with and respond skillfully to the pain and suffering of our world, my own pain and that of others, may I come to accept pain, suffering, confusion, and ignorance to be part of the journey my own journey and the journey of others. I offer forgiveness for the way that things are and have been as much as is possible in this moment. So to see where that calls you. You know, it may be there's a part of one's life which has been really hard. And does it feel appropriate just to let go of that in some way? And sometimes attending to that area may call for action and doing something or working through something. But sometimes there can be something to let go. So again, just staying with the area where it seems that there can be a letting go. Not forced, but ready to come from your heart. And then the third step, and this will be the last one, is the step of setting intentions or aspirations. And I'll ask for three of these in three areas of our lives. And this this can be related to the first area of seeing where we miss the mark or are a little bit out of alignment. What is my core aspiration in relationship to myself? And secondly, what is my 
core aspiration for the next period of time in terms of my relationships. See how you would express this. And then thirdly, what is my most important aspiration in relation to the larger world and my own contributions to healing and transformation? I'd like to ask you, if you wish, to turn to another person, maybe next to you, and if you wish, it's not required, share your three aspirations. Sharing aspirations has potential to make them more powerful. So if you want your aspirations to be more powerful, consider talking to your neighbor about them. But you don't need to. If it would be better just to stay with them silently, that's fine too. So take, um, turn to the person next to you and just take about, uh, you know, two, three minutes and I'll, to share your aspirations with the other. And then we'll come back together. Okay to have a group of three if you want.
Take about another minute and a half or so. Make sure you've uh, had a chance for everyone to speak. So finish up and thank your partner whatever way you'd like, partner or partners. We'll come back to the whole group.
So I'd love to um, hear everyone's uh, three core aspirations, right? Probably be very interesting and inspiring. But any anyone want to either share or reflect or ask a question? We, we, we'll use the microphones here. So it's just this really pointing to this value of periodically taking a break and realigning one's core intentions, seeing where one's stuck. And we need space to do that often. You know, we need space, you know. It's hard to do that when one's very quite busy. I know that I went through an interesting period about 20 years ago. It really felt like a transitional time. And intellectually, I kind of knew where I was going, but I had been too busy, and it was in my gut. I couldn't, you know, even intellectually, I kind of knew where to go. The energy wasn't there in the right way. And I needed to let go of things or just let go of busyness. Um, and I was able to do that. And um, still have enough income coming in. <laughs> so, uh, and it took some time. It's sort of like sometimes it takes opening up a space before we can really let what's important come through. And for me, in that instance, it really did. But it took like uh, a number of months and actually doing, I think I did two months on retreat, right? And it took it took that. I'm thinking also, some of you know the story of Gandhi when I think it was 1929 or 1930 and the Indian independence movement was at a crossroads. And... Gandhi didn't know what to do. People didn't know what to do. There were more people saying nonviolence hasn't worked. Let's, you know, let's be violent. I mean, not quite like saying it like that, but more or less. And uh, Gandhi went into seclusion and went into back to his home community. And he sat on his porch and watched the river for like uh, weeks. And people were getting very critical of him. Hey, you're Gandhi, you're supposed to know what to do, right? But he just sat there and he said, the answer will come. And he sat there, I think it was six weeks into it, just sitting, doing nothing. And he said, now I know. We will march to the sea and we will make salt from the salt water. And that was the beginning of a major nonviolent campaign because at that time, believe it or not, the British said, we are the only ones in India who can make salt. Such was the way the world was at that time. And it was forbidden for people in India to go to their own ocean, so to speak, and make salt. So it was a civil disobedience campaign. It brought out tremendous brutality from the British and is often seen as a turning point in the Indian independence movement. It came out of him not knowing what to do and listening. You know, so sometimes it takes some time to listen and know what's really coming from the heart. It, it, it's hard to be really busy and in touch uh, or, or have that realignment take place. So any reflections, thoughts, questions, sharing of any of your own aspirations? We'll bring the, the mic. Yeah. 
This isn't an aspiration, actually. It's a question that I don't have an answer to. Okay. Um, one of the lines in one of the poems you read talked about, what did I do? And in there was also the phrase about going into the streets. Yeah. And what I've been thinking about is the people in Hong Kong yeah. who have demonstrated repeatedly for day after day after day. Yeah. Uh, the yellow jackets, the yellow vests in France. Yeah. Um, the young people in Iraq who are protesting for basic services and jobs. Yeah. And here you have those hot spots around the world. And here in America, we did have the climate march. We did have the women's march. And it seems like there are occasional large groupings of people going into the streets to ask for something. But yeah. that kind of persistent civil disobedience in your face just doesn't seem to be happening here and I don't know why that is and I don't know what my part in that should yeah. be. That's how many can relate to that question? Okay. Yeah, no, it's an important question and so I think uh, you know a few responses that I have and I'm sure others have other responses but what occurs to me are a few things. One of them is there was a study done, I think about 10 years ago, by uh, a social scientist, and she studied the uh, history of nonviolent movements. And she found that uh, every nonviolent movement, which has had the participation of at least 2.5% of the population, has been successful even when there's been dictatorship. That's what she found. So that, you know, that can be encouraging. Sustained, nonviolent campaigns. Right? Um, and then, uh, secondly, I think it's good just to uh, connect with others. Isolation is a real issue now. So even if you don't know what to do, it's good to connect with others and talk about how you don't know, <laughs> right? Or just meet with people in various groupings. So watch out for the isolation. See what's see what's possible. And I think I think for me the the, the climate uh, issues are accelerating. There actually are actions happening now uh, uh, related to climate. You know, connected with the group Extinction Rebellion. Those are happening right now and all over the world and including New York. I think a main action is happening a week from today in San Francisco. So there, there's more, there are more things happening, right? Um, but yeah, I think we don't have a ready-made movement, something that we can plug into. It's, that's not easy. It's, it takes creativity, right? One, let's do one at a time. Hold on. We'll use the, use the mic if we're going to speak. No. Okay. I'm sorry. I went out of turn. I just wanted to say I believe there's something going on at Jared Huffman's office tomorrow yeah. at 1 p.m. about ext animal mass extinctions. And that yeah, kind of I think thing. people are getting out there. So in terms of climate and animals and so forth, if you look up some of the groups, you'll, you'll find a lot of actions. Yeah. When I heard that word street, 
I thought of it in more poetic kind of way, yeah. and uh, that <clears throat> the street is whatever's out there, what what you encounter during the day, and what I, you know, my thing is working with immigrants, and so to me, the street is going to court with somebody who's been picked up by ICE, or I have a, uh, one of my aspirations is I have a, I, I think I, I'm an activist and I, I do stuff, but there's one group that I have a really hard time with and it's the homeless. And I wonder, I think about that and what that, that is about. And when I think of street, I think of the homeless. And so I think, I think the definition of street is a lot bigger than just yeah. demonstrations, and it's 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 what you can encounter much more often than waiting for an organized event. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it and it produces the same thing. I, I was thinking of uh, the sounds of silence, the song. You know, yeah. the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls yeah. and tenement halls. Yeah, and that's what I think of as the streets. Yeah. I think they're very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I think that I think street is a metaphor. It means, I guess, to be engaged where you are. Yeah. Please. Yeah. I also thought of <clears throat> sorry the homeless when it comes to um, the street, but my thought was in many ways, so many of them are opting out and the question of choice we can go into and that would take a long time. But I do think in that poem and in thinking about how we're responding, we're seeing a lot of people who with whatever level of choice or not choice, depending on how you think about that, um, are opting out, whether it's living on the street and not living in the way that we're told to be living by society um, or also when it comes to drug use, when it comes to suicide, like all these numbers are shooting up and it, it feels related to me. Um, yeah. I struggled with a third question around how we think about our role in the larger scheme yeah. of what's happening. And while I didn't get to a profound insight that I want to take away, the thing that struck me is if anyone's been to the 9-11 memorial in New York, there's a big wall and it has a little piece of blue um, for each color that the sky was on 9-11. And there's a Virgil quote that says, nothing shall erase you from the memory of history. And I think with the social collapse that we're starting to see and the environmental collapse that we're starting to get wind of, there's this thought to me of, we are in that time in history and nothing will erase the memory of this time. And so where do we stand as that is happening? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Um, you know, one, one reflection I have, um, I think one of, one of the challenges, it can be a challenge uh, personally, relationally, but also maybe more uh, in thinking about, quote, the world, is that uh, it's very important in terms of next steps and aspirations that we not have what we're intending be quote unquote too big. You know, so for example, I'm thinking of a person I worked with 
who was who was said, I really want to have a certain amount of my energy go into helping, you know, and this person had a pretty clear sense of what the issue was, you know, so it's like choose one area, choose one issue, and then it was a question of how much time do I want to devote, and what it came to was like, okay, I want to devote five hours a week to this particular concern, okay? And so this, this was a lot of movement already. I'm clear about where I want to contribute. Uh, I'm clear about the time, and then there has to be a little bit of research. What groups can I be part of, right? Something like that. And then you just uh, you find where you can work and you put in your time. I think that, that uh, reflection was very, very helpful because it makes it very concrete. I think uh, paralysis or thinking it's too much or not knowing uh, what to do is a real danger at this time. So how to, uh, how to make it very practical? You know, it's related to also to changes more internally. You know, I work a lot with people one-on-one and I'm, con- you know, people are always saying, okay, here's, here's the change I'm going to make. And it's always, can it be practical? And can it be something that's doable and can one really know what to do? So, okay, I want to, uh, okay, here's what to do for this week. I want to, you know, very common thing is, like, get off electronics by 9.30 p.m. Anyone struggle with that one? <laughs> okay, some of you. So, you know, so what, what I, typically when I work with people, we make these personal guidelines, but we say, don't agree to do this indefinitely. Agree to do this for the next week only. <laughs> Just for seven days. Make that commitment. Or it's maybe meditating every day or whatever. Right? And so we want to make whatever we're aspiring towards, we want to make it uh, bite-sized. This is, this is in accordance with the research on how you change patterns or habits in one's life. You want to make it bite-sized, doable, not too much. And so you can, if you need to Rephrase your three aspirations. Go ahead. In that in that way. So please, yeah. maybe one or two more, and then we'll we'll finish up. Um, speaking to sort of bite-sized aspirations, I was yeah. also inspired a little bit by by Jenna was talking, if I may, um, was talking about how some of her action is really going through her practice and connecting yeah. to herself. Yeah. And that also tied, I, I want to really echo what you're saying around the idea of homelessness. It's, um, I lived in Oakland for a really long time. There's a lot of pain and difficulty around it. And one thing I realized that helped me a lot was being conscious of my language, that yeah. homelessness is a real problem. People not having access to housing, not being able to afford it. And then indigence is another problem. Yeah. And so, like, are we calling people homeless and 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 linking two problems that are are maybe not problems in yeah. the same way, and don't free us to address them in the same way. Yeah. And and so I I think one action we can take on the street is by connecting to ourselves, thinking about our language, really thinking about how we're talking about the problems because there's things we say without thinking. Yeah. Thank you. Language very helpful. Uh, history is pretty important too. Most of, I know, I'm, again, I, I'm influenced by uh, 
Cornell West, he says, it's very helpful to bring in history, although it's quite un-American. <laughs> right? To really know the history. There's a history around immigration and refugees, right? There's a history there. There's a history around what we call homelessness, right? There's a history that goes back 30, 40 plus years, right? And generally people look at these somewhat in a vacuum, right? And uh, so that's, that's important too. Okay. Um, okay, I think I want to end with two things. Remember we had these three steps. One is seeing where we're out of alignment. Secondly, seeing where there's something we want to let go of, some reactivity or grudge or whatever. And thirdly, the three aspirations that can give, give some alignment. And so I want to invite everyone just to kind of whisper right now your three aspirations okay, at the same time. Okay, one, okay, I'm, I'm serious. One, I'm going to do it too. To turn on down the mic, maybe. <laughs> okay. One, two, three. Whisper. Okay. Come on. And see if there's one word which really helps you to stay in touch with this. One word. And let's say these out loud all together at the same time. Ready? Radiate. Okay, and may may these aspirations, having been expressed publicly, even through whispering... Gain more power and lead to a wonderful development, transformation for ourselves, for those in our lives, and for our world. May it be, may they all be helpful and contribute in this way. So, thank you and Part two is the rest of your lives. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.